Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yep, let's do it. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. We are here for the first of another brace of podcasts, this one focusing on the climax of the Autumn Nations Cup, of the Tri-Nations as well, all things international rugby and uh, and the other rugby news besides. We'll do another podcast which will come in your feed, uh, well, depends when you're listening to this, it might already be there, uh, but all on domestic matters. So make sure you get following at Rugby Podcast on Twitter, get subscribed wherever you get your podcasts, be it Acast, Spotify, Google, Apple... Um, Podcatcher. Podcatcher. I'm on... Uh, uh, Something else. Castbox. Phil's on. Um, Player FM. Player FM. And anywhere else. Just hit, hit subscribe. There you go. And there might be another little... There, no, there is another treat. <laughs> midweek treat coming for you. Um, because JB just likes to have excuses not to go to work. So, exactly. Um, so he's found, <laughs> a, he's found another of the game's luminaries to uh, interrogate. So, um, yeah, that should be well worth listening to. So at Rugby, uh, yeah, so go, go and subscribe wherever you get it. That is JB. Hello, Tim. Do you want to say who your chat's going to be with this week? I will. It's with, um, how would Eddie Butler say it? Eddie Butler would say it. Uh, Bonjour, mon Yeah, the excellent Ben. Now, oh. just for the record, I do my interviews a week, er- a week early. So yeah. I, do, I do them, they're in the can, and then I release them the week after. I interviewed Ben Kayser way before Rugby Pod and way before BBC. Before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, before it was cool. I was, the, I was the first, well, I wasn't the first one to do it. I'm sure other people have done it. But I'm just saying, in this space of podcasts, <laughs> this was the first one. This, but, is the, this is the only rugby podcast anyone listens to. Exactly. But because Come I've on. got broadcast discipline, I've held it back for a week. I could have released it, but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. It's a wise move because I, I enjoyed hearing from Gary Graham anyway. And Phil, there's Phil. Hello. Hello, JB. Hello, Tim. Hello, Phil. Uh, right, qu- quick reflection on the end of the Autumn Nations Cup. It was a bit of an experiment. We weren't sure how it was going to go. Uh, overall feelings about the tournament as a whole, would you like it to return next year in that format, even if the teams were slightly different? Uh, maybe. I, I, I think it has been a much bigger success than I expected. I also think that uh, this last weekend probably didn't live up to the, the lofty heights that I, I thought it would do, and I'll explain why in a second. But I do like the fact, I do think it proves the concept that we could expand the Six Nations. I think that's a, that's a thing that, that could happen. I thought there was no way you can expand expand Six Nations. Looks like you can, actually. We can probably get two, maybe even four more teams in, depending on how you play around with the formats. So I'm not overly fussed by 
by that. But I don't think it should come back next year. Well, it won't because we've already announced the tour dates. Yeah, I'm I'm probably similar to JB. Um, I've softened a little bit on the Six Nations, albeit I'd still rather keep it as it is. But the question in my mind is, in a normal um, autumn international window, the normal end-of-year tests, you have a lot of the same teams playing the same teams with no competition. They're all friendlies, and they're not... Friendlies is, is, is the accurate term... None of them are actually friendly because there's often a huge amount of history when uh, England play South Africa, for example, or Ireland play New Zealand. Mm. Um, but I just wonder if you could uh, manufacture a similar type of tournament where you have the culminating day or culminating couple of days because I've really enjoyed it this last couple of days. I thought we had some good games um, and I'd like to see that a little bit more if we could. Where do you stand on this point? What dawned on me this weekend is that even though we had a full schedule of matches, the only one that really mattered was the England game. No one really cared about anything else. And the reason for it was because it was ranked. Now, normally in the autumns, it doesn't really matter what happens throughout the rest of the, well, not tournament, but the rest of the internationals because... Every match is an individual test match, which has its own individual meaning. But because they've ranked them, they're no longer just standalone test matches. In in a way, they lose their importance. And I felt that on the Saturday. Did you watch? Mm. Uh, did you watch intently uh, the Wales Italy game? Phil? I watched it. Oh, sorry, Phil. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say I, I I found it hard to watch. By that point, I've watched loads of rugby, and I just didn't—I didn't really yeah. care about that fixture. I was—I was just looking out for some sublime skill, which we had a couple of pieces from uh, one of my favourite ten-twelve combinations at the moment: uh, Garbisi and Carlo Canna. Yeah, good shout. I, I loved—I loved those two. Um, unfortunately, things didn't quite go their way. I was willing them to win when the uh, mayor scored that try by uh, running over. Poor Johan Lloyd. He got absolutely skittled. I mean, there was. Hope no one holds it against him. <laughs> yeah, there was absolutely nothing that we, he could do there. He's, he's one yard out from the try line. Yeah, he probably shouldn't have even bothered putting his body in the. No, way. he should have done what? Did you see the uh, the Nandolo hat trick try? If, <laughs> yes. if, if you want to go back and have a look at that again, watch the Georgian open side flanker just do a brilliant impersonation of a turnstile. It, yeah. By that point, the game was over, and it's not worth. That, that was a business decision. Basically. Yeah, exactly, business decision. <laughs> the, the, the Georgian Open side, who went on to score, did he score two tries because uh, he he scored a similar one to the Nandolos. Yeah. Uh, maybe ten minutes after that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he's obviously he's a big, strong boy, but he just thought maybe not. My but, my, uh, my I, I think my overwhelming feeling on the on the Autumn Nations Cup was the format are quite liked and yeah bringing a little culmination a finale to that series yeah. of games would be great uh however i, I don't want to see those fixtures uh in all in the autumn so yeah mm. once a but year is enough here's a point which i brought up with benjamin kayser who you can hear on wednesday um uh, which is you are right and i've said the same thing um i don't want to see those fixtures in the autumn but then would i rather have an england france game in the autumn rather than the third 
game between England and South Africa or England Australia. Well, well if if the if the game against France was because in a split pool system with southern hemisphere teams in the main they ended up playing each other then that's that would be okay. I, d- I mean I don't know how you would I don't know how you keep them apart until they I don't know how not. you keep them apart yeah. and then I don't know but how you would do that. I just think unless unless you do ranking games so you play the normal um like England might play South Africa, New Zealand, Argentina, Australia or something like that or, or maybe only three games but you you rank just for that window you rank performances based on the standard world rugby rankings. What like um, a like a squash ladder, a bit like a squash ladder. So um, South Africa would go in as the top ranked team in the world, and you'd get more points for beating them, and fewer points for say rolling over Georgia. Well, that sounds and then after your three or four games, the top two ranked teams go against each other. The next two ranked teams go against each that other. That sounds and so on. that sounds complicated. One thing they do in mini rugby. Um, don't when... keep don't keep score. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Five side. Uh, no, they uh, they have a, a little waterfall system where two teams will just play each other in, yeah. the, in the first game. There'll be multiple teams there. Two teams play each other in the first game, uh, and then two losing teams play each other, and the two winning teams then play each other. So it sort of pyramids up and, pyra- uh... and pyramids down through the fixtures. So that, you know, maybe maybe that could work with the different. Does that mean multiple nations? games in one day. That's what that's what the mini rugby does it. But basically, well, you'd have you'd have you'd have fixture one, fixture two, fixture three, and fixture uh, four. If there was eight teams, the two the two winners from fixtures one and two play each other. Still a lot of rugby. The two losers from one and two play each other, three and four, and then it and then it just sort of pyramids upwards and pyramids downwards. Still so. a lot of rugby for one day. Not not in one day though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, I, I think it has wet it wet my appetite for the Six Nations. However, you can have too much of a good thing. And I, I'm glad yeah. to see that the fixtures for next autumn are, I, are more traditional for that. I'm still broadly window. there with you, but it has opened my eyes that other alternatives are available and they're not the end of the world like I thought they would be. Yeah, and in, I have to say as well, it was brilliant to see Fiji playing today. Yes. Obviously, they've they've had their troubles um, with SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. Um, it was amazing to see them playing, both, both obviously because their players are fit and well, which is brilliant, but also to actually see them play in the the skill, the power, yeah. the uh, direct running was just unbelievable. I absolutely loved that game and see Georgia uh, have a crack, get some tries on the board as well was good. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go into the games themselves, can I just steer this conversation in a slightly different direction? Because I've been on email duty this week. In fact, does anyone else look at our emails? Yeah. I do. Uh, Usually, like you're, I like that response. you're normally very quick off the trigger when someone's offering something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> send it to my address. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> fact, where the hell's my Miles Benjamin top? Yeah, do, that's do a one good of them point. in the post. A match, <laughs> a, a match worn Miles Benjamin Leicester shirt. What? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Although I don't have anywhere in the dungeon to keep it. Oh no, that we did, we'd have to get that professionally framed. No. I'd have to get a safe. Do we want like there's one thing so I've got a an old sail jersey of my brother's like professionally framed that someone from the club Yes, I've uh, I've seen that. Gave, I... gave me and and I just went to Nick, do you want it? And he oh, I've already got one of them. Uh, whatever. He's got he's got one sail one and one Irish one up in his house already. Why don't we Doesn't take it, it out so. of the frame and change the name to one of ours? Potentially my name. <laughs> and put it back in the frame. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. I, I, I just would, played. You, I, I played there. I, pl- I played for one game. 
Would so, you change the number as well, JB? What would be your what dream? What was Nick? Was he four or five? five. Well, four or five. But, yeah. uh, well, hang on. It, the, he, the, this, tight this, tight this, headlock. It, this particular jersey was a five. Hmm. Uh, would I change? No, I'd probably keep the number. I, I, I could play for sale, can I? Six foot, six foot two. There'd be yeah. no problem there. Yeah, no worries. Um, <laughs> so I bring up the emails because, Tim, I don't know what you said. Oh, I do know what you said. I was here. But you've really struck a nerve with our Welsh listeners about your comments regarding uh, Wales and the players which are developed outside of Wales. So I guess I think I'd like to ask, would you like to clarify this? Because you've caused a lot of upset. A lot? How do you quantify a lot? Well, We've got, had an email. I've got two emails here. I had to block someone, <laughs> block someone on Twitter. By the way, what a knuckle-dragging loser that guy was. Um, and I, how did he, did he expect he would appeal to, I guess, Phil by saying... Usually JB's an idiot, but now you are too, Tim. Or maybe he would... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Who, why, why even Twitter? Twitter's going to Twitter, isn't it? Uh, what, yeah, I, I would clarify my uh, my thoughts on it by going, facts don't care about your feelings. Ooh, edgy. And, Not and, the, down. Uh, and the facts are that a lot of Welsh players have... Um, a lot of Welsh youngsters have moved and been developed for whatever reason... Uh, in England, well, and, and the youth system in Wales hasn't been as productive. The, the, the flip side, I will say, is we've been contacted. Uh, there were some people on Twitter saying some Wel- some Welshmen. Mm. Uh, in fact, one particular Welshman who I'll find the name of, uh, who said, "You know, you've got a point there." However, there are some foundations which have recently been laid. The Mike Ruddock and Toby Booth um, team at the Ospreys, for example, have actually identified the very problem that I'm talking about. Is a problem. It is a problem. Well, yeah. what do you say about? And, and they try. And the point is, they're trying to remedy it. So, what would you say about the idea that a lot of Welsh players, or some really good ones, are heading over the border for education? Because, of course, that that is a big pull, isn't it? There's Millfield School, which will have you. Uh, there is where did uh, Summit go? Uh, Lewis Rees Summit went to Hartbury College. He went somewhere else as well before. But yeah, the point the point is. Whereas I think I might have this wrong now, and I'm sure if you're a Welsh listener and you know these things, you can put me in the right. Uh, sorry, you um, you can correct me. There was a Welsh school which was m- a massive public school which was very very good at rugby, and it's kind of gone off the boil recently. I can't remember its name. How embarrassing! As soon as I say it, so, or as soon as someone else says it, I'll, I'll know. But is it Landover College? Yes, Landover. Is that it? Yeah, and, and that's uh, apparently that is nowhere near as good good as it once was. But the, for whatever well, for whatever reason, there's a lot a lot they've had they've had to rely on players, either being English and coming into the Welsh setup, or Welshmen like Josh Adams, like Lewis Rees Summit, uh, and the others that I listed last last week. But Rees Summit is an example, isn't he, of someone who was attracted by the education outside of Wales well, and the rugby, the the the, the world yeah, class setup at Hartbury, for example, is is something which can be replicated. And by, and by so the sounds of it, by the sounds of it is exactly what is starting to happen now. The issue which I've flagged up and what we're now seeing, the lack of fruit of uh, this being done earlier, is now being remedied. So but how you do you do it? If you're Toby Booth, how do you improve the amount of people that stay in Wales? It's, I, I, well, it's not just a rugby question, is it? It has to be... So the reason I ask that is because like someone like Botham, who's, who's just played... The, there's a lad who went from Sale, Sam... No, Sam Moore. Sam Moore uh, is another one that went down 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 the squad. Both of those boys were, I think, in thinking Sebba. So 
you know, unless I get in the education and that educational chance in Wales, how do you solve it? It's a multi-factor analysis, but more can be done. And that's that was my point. Mm. And, it, and by the sounds of it, it is starting to be done. So hopefully the issue, which has been an issue, won't be an issue. Yeah. And lastly, what do you say to the fact that we are unfair to the Welsh regions? No, absolutely not. Just... I think that's perfectly fair because we are unfair to Welsh, <laughs> to, to Welsh regions. Well, if, if they play better, we'll cover them more. I agree with you. If if they play uh, better, if they if they, I mean, oh, let, let's just cast our eye very briefly towards this weekend. Oh, which Welsh uh, regions are um, what, what? What are the Champions Cup fixtures for the Welsh region? Oh no, uh, they're, they're not really. <laughs> not really. Um, can, can we touch on a Welsh region just for a second? Yes, of course. Did anyone see the finish to the Dragons Glasgow game? No, but I heard Dragons won, didn't they? Dragons won. Dragons were uh, six points up with seconds left to go. Uh, actually, the, the clock was 82 minutes um, when uh, former Sedgley Tiger, Johnny Matthews, who is now playing his trade at, at Glasgow, um, crashed over the line to score 10 metres, less than 10 metres to the right-hand side of the post, um, scored a try. They need the conversion to win it. Glasgow need the conversion uh-huh. to win it. Um, Dragons, I think, twice charged down too early, so get banned from charging down. And with no one charging him down, he hits the post. Oh, so you Dragons... oh, Wow. Dragons won. Amazing. Well, well done, Dragons. Good. Good bit yes. of news for the Welsh regions. Well done. Well done, lads. Fantastic. With a finish like that, I'm happy to talk about a game like that. Yes. Incredible. So do you know the the theories, and this is complete bro science now, behind NFL kickers and freezing the kicker? What, what When they call timeouts... What... Just yeah. before they're about to kick to psych them out and all the rest of it. and Yeah, so yeah. they're about to kick and they call the timeout to psych them out. But then that's apparently evolved into the kickers now know that they've got a free shot. So they have a practice shot before knowing that the... Because obviously the head coach will be on the side about to call the timeout. So I think it's in Freakonomics. They said that you actually increase the chances of the kicker kicking it <laughs> because they can get, like, get their range in and also they know it's coming. So they can take their time on the first one. Yeah, and alternatively, if you didn't call the timeout, would you slightly freak the kicker out? Because he'd be thinking, oh my God, I'm actually doing it. Yeah, but maybe he's so relaxed when he's doing it at the, on the first time round, like there's no pressure. So ironically, you lose both ways. So if you don't do it, there's no pressure. And also your team might not be playing as hard because mm. they're expecting you to time out anyway. Well, talking to ki- well, let, let's jump straight into the final, uh, oh, England France, because kickers is a, is a good place to, to start. Viva la France! What a game! Loved it. Loved every second of it. It, it was fun, actually. It was it was a fun game. It was more than fun. I, it was an excellent test match. I I would have loved it if I was a neutral. I found it pretty stressful yep. watching it as uh, with an England hat on. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I desperately wanted France to win. I desperately, desperately wanted them to win. Uh, I thought that this game sold itself to me in the first 10 minutes when Billy Van Apole absolutely ended someone. Couldn't tell you who it was, but completely. He did it a few them. times. Oh, but then got ended himself by a 22 year old. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just stop dead. And that is just, I mean, that's how you send a message. Uh, you could have looked at these two teams if you took their jerseys off and, you know. Um, or swap them around. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Love them to have taken their jerseys off. Let's have a look. Come on, let's have a look. Let's check out the rigs. You could have easily have mistaken the two teams for each other. So the narrative around England is a strong, powerful team focused on defence, and uh, 
you know, against an inexperienced team who will uh, get stuck in headlights. And it looked like the exact opposite way around for most of the game. It certainly for the first half it did. First half, yeah. Actually, even in the second half, England, they had all that territory and possession. It took them until the 80th minute to actually convert it to a try. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, something... but, but, but no, really, I, I would say the second half, uh, France didn't... And it's not criticism because, you know, fair play, that that young side did incredibly well. But France offered nothing in the second half. And, and England, yeah. England, yeah, were lacking any sort of clinical edge, whether that's from the tee with Owen Farrell or open play. They, I mean, they should have put that game to bed. So something hasn't quite sat right with me for a couple of weeks, and I couldn't think what it was regarding England. And... I think it comes back to this idea that England are only working on their defence. Do we agree that that is what they said they were doing? That's what Eddie Jones said he was doing, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, we, and, I, do, and I, I think it has married up as well to what I've witnessed. But like, For, uh, so go on, so go on, Phil. Uh, besides when they had to score in that sec- late in that second half, they were uh, flinging it around a bit then. But besides that, I think in most of the games... And they've been ahead in most of the games. They've been happy to give the ball away, kick it away, and trust their defence. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think they must be much, much, much better than we are seeing. Because if you can afford to play a game of rugby with just one facet of a game, which has uh, you know six different phases, depending on you know how you look at it, then um, you must be a phenomenal team. Well, they created lots of opportunities, and you know if that were. New Zealand, if it were, if that was South Africa in the World Cup final, or it was New Zealand, you know, really, like last weekend, they would have nailed several of the chances that England created. Yeah, ironically yeah. for England, I think if they were facing an, a New Zealand or a Australia, they would have won handsomely today. I think their well, style, England would have. Yeah, I think their style of play, they can beat people up, and they couldn't beat up France. No matter what they tried, I mean, you look at those ten phases or thirteen phases when they're camped on the French line and they, and they knock it on. Well, I mean, that tells me all that I need to know. Well, I, I think France worked so hard, and that they were they were young and they really stood stood up manfully. Mm. But I, I'm not sure. I'm not so sure I agree with that. I think I'd go back to what I sort of just said, which is that England could and probably should have put several tries in the can and they just they just failed and I'm, I'm not sure playing against another side would help that I think it's going back to exactly what you just said it's the fact that they're not very fluent in attack currently yeah the attack is frustrating for me and I, I, I thought it in the the Wales game uh, was that last week yeah where they had um, some good opportunity to attack out wide and just couldn't convert they looked like everyone the running line's um, people were either overrunning or underrunning yes. the ball, and they looked miles off the pace. And it happened again today. There was twice where Elliot Daly and Anthony Watson had yeah. a, a good overlap on yeah. the right. Daly just side. gave the pass really early and let the defender drift yeah. onto Watson. It was it was horrendous. It, it was really really bad. That that the first one, the better one, where Doolan has kind of half come in, half come out, and Doolan. Looks brilliant. He's class. He's great, isn't he? He, he? he looks brilliant. He looks brilliant in that. He got praised by the comms for his defence in that situation. But had Daly have kept the ball, straightened up, fixed his inside shoulder, he would have been stuck in no man's land. It yeah. only looked brilliant because Daly gave the pass a, a, a good five or ten metres 
earlier than he actually needed to. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. They do look like a team, don't they, that haven't done any attack. But you know, I kind of think this is also missing the point because one of the best ways to defend would be to keep the ball and then you don't have to defend. Uh, hang on. That said, George Ford had some very interesting things to say. I think he might have said them to Charlie Morgan. And if he didn't, I apologise to the journalist that he did say it to. Regarding holding on to the ball and that if you hold on to the ball... Ticking time bomb. Ticking time bomb. And he's not wrong, is he? Because ultimately, what was it that uh, that did it for France? Holding on to the ball. And frankly, if Owen Farrell was kicking penalties a little better, uh, he'd been proved right over and over again. Yeah, I- so there's a couple of things with this game in the aftermath. Well, one, I, as an England fan, I've got to say I love uh, rugby Twitter uh, on, on days like this because there are so many people so desperate for England to lose. <laughs> I re- I, it makes it more enjoyable, I've got love to it. say. Um, but but, cons- but the, to, to the England fans saying Owen Farrell needs to go and needs to be dropped. Who said this? Do, Who, so, the, the, are honestly, you doing what one of our favourite Twitter no, people no, does? No, no, no. Making up a, an, an imaginary oh, enemy. There was, a, there was, someone, there was a, a, a well-known person on Twitter who was inventing a, an issue that there wasn't on Twitter. Yeah. When, when, when Yoan Lloyd... No, no, no. Yoan no. Lloyd, Lloyd missed a tackle and... Uh, and they said, I hope, uh, no pile- <laughs> "I hope no one piles onto him. He's only young. Leave him alone." <laughs> no, no one did. But lots of people were saying, "Owen Farrell needs to go. He's dropped. He's rubbish. He doesn't add anything." Um, and I, well, you're allowed. E- even the even the great players have off days. Owen Farrell is world class. Shut up. And and to, and the second <laughs> the, sec- the second one would be um, to to the people just going on about refereeing decisions. Doesn't matter. My God, we're like yeah. this. The rugby values thing we we love to talk about, and let's actually start demonstrating them a little bit. Sometimes there are rugby decisions, uh, refereeing decisions, which we can have a chat about and debate. We did it with JP Doyle a few weeks back, and mm. but let's that, let's not be quite as reactionary as we are. Re- refereeing decisions over the course of eighty minutes go in both directions. If it happens at a, a crucial time, in this occasion, it was a potential knock on by Owen Farrell. People are going, people are going absolutely drop, drop nuts about no, it. Sorry, I need to bring... knock on. Drop him. Can I just bring this to your attention? This is completely besides. This has nothing to do with with international. Okay, rugby. cool. There is a gif which is just just started going around. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll show it to you. This is an official gif. From a rugby team near us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to compliment Sale Sharks on their gift game. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, there's uh, there's some great Steve Diamond ones, but yeah, I hope all I'll say is, and we'll talk about it on the domestic pod tomorrow. But I hope that Will Cliff scores a try sometime soon. Oh, multiple tries, multiple tries. <laughs> that is, yeah. look at the Will Cliff gif. Will Cliff gif, amazing. Will gif. Will gif. Uh, sorry about that. What were you saying about uh, the... just just pipe down on the just making such a big deal about a refereeing decision, whether especially when it's a knock on or not, or a, a debatable one at the end where you, I'm sure you could argue that maybe Maruitoji didn't get a clean jackal, but maybe he did. It's not a it's not a obvious decision, so let's let's not make such a big deal of that. I think this tends to happen. Well, it's, it's happening more and more, and I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. maybe I'm guilty of it sometimes as well. Uh, probably, probably you could roll the tape, and I'd be a hypocrite on this one. But I, 
I'm going to try and do better, and I think we all should. Yeah, uh, they the referee decision. I mean, they they excite me at the time. I thought France had a few really poor ones given against them, uh, particularly towards the end of the first half. But it kind of evens itself out. There's no point. I mean, if you think a game hinges on a referee's decision, your team hasn't done enough. To, hasn't done enough to yeah. win it in the first place. That's how that's, I look at it. That's the biggest point. A hundred percent. Yeah, and I, I think one of the th- I was disappointed to see Gautier come out and say, oh, it's 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 hard to lose to a team, but it's even harder to lose to bad decisions. I, I This is happening more and more. Coaches are coming out. We talked about this last week. I can't remember who it was, but... Pivak. Um, Pivak, yeah, it was Pivak. Just, yes, you can... I'm not saying I don't want coaches to be honest, because I do, and I want to see the authentic reaction of people, so I don't want to get into boring cliches after a game, but exactly what... I just echo what you just said, But JB. isn't it the job of people like you, Tim, to say to them, Hang on, hang on, Wayne, or whoever's yes. Like if you if you if you've done done your job properly, you wouldn't be in this situation anyway. And I think if I was if I was interviewing Fabian Galtier, that would be exactly the line of question. I wouldn't say it maybe 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 like that, but I'd say well, you, you, you wouldn't start with mate. Yeah, come on, mate. Come on, come on mate. I come on, mate. But I, I definitely I definitely say, hold on. Weren't, weren't there things you could control? What what changed in the second half that meant you went from being Why do you not in control- the ascendancy yeah. to not not throwing a sh- not throwing a, a punch in the second half? Yeah, on the coaches actually, you've you've actually riled me a bit now because coaching chat is some of the most inane chat on earth, and it starts with things like control your controllables, which I actually think is a wonderful mantra. Um, but yeah, when they do whinge about the referee, mind you, maybe that is controlling their controllables. Maybe that's them putting pressure on the referee. Maybe maybe that's fine. No, I think of it. Think mm. of it. Think of it that way. Anyway, They're playing playing four D chess. Exactly. I want to talk about some of these French players because yeah, it's great, isn't it? We do need to talk about more of them. Um, I thought uh, is it Villiers on on the wing, the little winger. He was super, he was superb. Yeah, the d- diminutive wingers are making a big comeback lately, aren't they? Uh, yes, yes, they are. Because of course, in the land of the giants, it's uh, quite easy to run around them. Well, not always, but you know. You've got to think of a, di- a different way to approach things. Uh, I thought uh, Jalabert was great. I thought Wocky was great. Uh, I think, is it Killian? How do you say his name? Uh, let's just call him Killian. The big, the, the big number five oh, that, that smashed uh, Billy. Gu- he was great. Yeah, I think he is going to be an international for a long, long, long time. You, can I just jump in? Because what, one, of the, one of the people from the French coaching camp. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Right, so this is this is Sean Edwards. This this was on BT Sport. Okay, this was on BT Sport uh, Gallagher Premiership tonight. So after the Gloucester Harlequins game, they got Sean Edwards on his phone from Twickenham. Sean, you're probably still trying to take on board what happened out there. Unbelievable, really. Extra time, sudden death, yeah, yeah. drama. Yeah, yeah. We'd like to have a bit of an explanation about the knock-on in the in the last tackle, which led to a try. Yeah, yeah okay. Well. I'm getting f***ed by the lady in charge here. I'm about to get similar from our bosses. Thanks very much. No worries about that. She's a lot bigger than me as well, to be honest. (laughs) Sean is going to the airport. (laughs) 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 Forty mouth. Forty mouth. Say sorry, Sean. Amazing, sir. I should officially apologise. So. Oh, anyway. So yeah, I, I thought that was it. From the title of the clip, I thought that was just going to be Sean Edwards uh, ranting about the TMO decision, but um, that was even funnier. <laughs> yeah. uh, Much I, better. I, what, one of the things which has upset me a little bit, Sean Edwards did a marvellous job. 
but he's not out there make, make, making the tackles. Um, the idea that Sean Edwards alone has turned around, turned around this France team is a little bit... Uh, it, just, it just irritates me a little because the, the actual performance of, um, of the players is magnificent. Well, the selection today, everyone was thinking, oh, well, France, due to an argument with their union, have uh, just thrown in the towel and, and thrown the L. But fair play, my God, how yeah. so many of those young guys that that we maybe never would have heard of. And um, what's the what's the centre's name? Moafana, I can't remember what his yes. name is. Yeah, was, that, was only his only his seventh top flight game. He, he's been in pro. Really, he's been in the second division in France for a couple of seasons. He's twenty or twenty one, and he's played. Yeah, I think a handful of games for Bordeaux. Was it Bordeaux? Yeah, a handful yeah, of games for Bordeaux. Is, is Bordeaux, and then uh, and then boom, he's start he's starting for France and <laughs> look good. I mean, I, the difference is England are so settled; they've got all those caps, and that's great. I mean, that is valuable in its own right, no doubt about it. But I think for France now, they can say, "Well, England are probably the second best team on the planet, and we've got a bunch of boys who are not our first teamers, but could stand up to them." So it it pushes everyone. It lets those boys know that they're good enough, and it lets the starters know that there's one. A hell of a lot of pressure on yeah. them to perform. So, I, and, and go on. So, I totally agree with that. And it um, it does validate the systems that um, Galtier and um, Sean Edwards have put in place. Yeah, because you can't. I, these guys have played two games together. Not a lot of them have not even played two games together. A lot of them played last week against Italy. Uh, and then this is their first real proper international for for pretty much all of them. And to have that level of structure um, when you're playing that first international together, guys playing their first time with each other in lots of positions, it does it, it, it is testament to the structures that have been put in place. Completely agree. Um, I, I will say that um, the way that England did play, particularly in the first 60 minutes... Um, it made those structures look good. And what I mean by that is they were playing for a huge amount of it. Um, simple kicking game, which they, which they executed very poorly for most of that first half in particular. Uh, they were kicking too deep and just kicking to men with lots of time and a simple running game, which is there's it's very difficult to stop because it's hugely physical, but it's very simple. There's not, I think Flatman said it, um, there's no thinking to be done. It's, it's physically exhausting, but you don't have to think because it's just one out runners or pick and go. Yeah, and that yeah. that helps. And it, that's it. Sounds like I'm discrediting the work that the French players did, which I definitely don't mean to. But England made it easy for them in the same way that if you watch the sudden death when uh, Owen Farrell missed the penalty, France went down the field, and France had about 18 or 20 phases. But they were too, almost too scared to throw the ball anything other than one out, and it made it incredibly easy for England to defend. Yeah, but that, that's that was how England allowed France to defend for seventy minutes of the game. Yeah. Uh, I I think it was great to have had the the sudden death scenario and stuff and a bit of practice like that. And I was really impressed with how composed England were 
I mean, a lot of experience. They've been, most of these guys have been to a World Cup final and stuff. So you, you would expect them to be better in that situation. The, the, the French youngsters will take a lot from that, but England are very streetwise. Yeah, can toward, I just, towards the closing stages and then in the extra, in, and, and then in the extra time. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it, it's so fitting that the guy who basically won it, I, you know, the guy who won it was Owen Farrell because he kicked, he kicked the ball, but the guy who won it before Owen Farrell won it was Mario Toji. Just so yeah. alert, so hardworking. I, I mean, he is. I, I'm going to say something, maybe a little bit silly here. He's probably the best second row in the world at the moment. Would you agree with that? Yes. I think yes. there are several levels to come from him ab- above this. I think he needs to move to the back row permanently. I think England could put him in the back row, and he'd be the best six. I mean, he's the best six on the planet anyway. But I just think England's pack would be so much more destructive if they get another big second row in. And you have him at six. You have Curry or Underhill at seven. I mean, that is just dynamite. Are you, JB, are you saying that Nigel Ray underpaid for Marrow's image rights? I think I am. I think I. I think <laughs> well, Nigel I think Ray the fact he's now signed. I think the fact he's now signed with um, a rock, rock, <laughs> rock nation. Yeah. So just looking back at this, the argument for one of Saracen's salary cap breaches was that this is not a commercial deal and that... Uh, this was a way of funneling money into Mario Toji's pockets, basically. Incorrect. It's a way of funneling money into Nigel Ray's pockets. <laughs> so based on that, if we were to do the calculations again, yeah, so surely the, it's so a the, deduction the, from the salary yeah, cap. So, so, <laughs> yeah, so hold on. So Nigel Ray, something like Nigel Ray and Associates uh, paid an equivalent of £5 million pounds or something like that for... I think it was 900k for 50%. Yeah. What was it like that? Okay, let's just yeah. take it like that. Anyway, so they valued it at one point eight million. Um, that's that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, or it might be for thirty percent. Anyway, whatever it is, and then Deloitte came, or, or the the official auditors for the Premiership came in. I think it was Deloitte came in and said, "No, that's way over, uh, way overpriced. You have you have deliberately overvalued it just to give Maruitoji more money. Um, that's circumventing the salary cap. Correct. And now." It looks like it's undervalued by a factor of about five. Yeah, it looks like uh, Saracens were under the cap by about a million quid now. <laughs> but anyway, it, water under the bridge. Yeah, he is incredible. He's absolutely incredible. I I think he'd be even more incredible just with more space, more time, or less time in the scrum and more time running about, smashing people and well, doing great things. That final that final moment of the game was brilliant for a lot of reasons firstly it was one of the only times in the match where there was a kick that was made that found grass and, was a good and, kick. and pinned france back and put them under pressure a lot of the kick kicking i was watching with phil's voice from last week's pod in my in my head that is slightly aimless and it, it wasn't actually applying any pressure whatsoever uh, that kick applied a whole lot of pressure the chase was awesome tom curry was brilliant yeah. smashing him uh, and then marrow so you had you had george ford finding space tom curry with a relentless energy maru itoji knowing exactly when to get to jackal and then owen farrell slotting the points that was it's like england's probably england's four key players right there so racker this is an interesting one racker got that ball and he has um is it jellabert what's his name the it's, it's carbonell 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 yes you're right and he has carbonell to his side and it's an easy pass to make to get himself out of trouble and he holds on to it, and he beats the first guy, and he nearly beats the second guy. And I wonder, if he'd, made, if he'd have been successful there, I think England are in worlds of trouble, because you've got Raka out in the open, gallivanting. Uh, 
you know, that could have gone either way. And if you aren't, if you aren't, yeah, Clacker should be your uncle. Correct, Tim. Correct. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was a, it was a fight. It was a close run thing. Uh, I've just I've just looked it up. Um, I, obviously, so I've, I've got the Dyson report open, uh, looking at um, the valuation of Mario Toji's image image rights. Which, of course, in the official version is redacted image rights, but someone leaked the report the day before. Obvs. Um, Totes obvs. So we all know it's Marrows. And it was 800k for 30% shares. So, so 2.4 million. Roughly two, yeah, 2.5 million, roughly. 2.5 million. And they yeah. said that that was overpriced by a, a significant factor. And now Rock Nation, well, <laughs> Rock Nation have well, signed him. The, the, there's, two, there's two things to this. They... Um, they never declared it as um, earnings, um, so oh, okay. I think I think it was they were not classing any of it as salary, and so it's all well, no, clearly not because it's an inv- it's a long term investment which they've just which has just matured by by a huge huge amount. Because who's on Rock Nation Sports? Who are no, the athletes? No one you'd know. Let's no. have a look, let's have a look at Rock Nation no. sports, sports roster that Maruatoji has just joined. No one big, no one big. Okay, uh, Kyrie Irving. Basketball player. Uh, Who? Axel Witzel, Belgian international footballer. Um, Cheslin Colby. Mm. Loads and loads of NBA basketball players and American footballers. Yeah, so he's basically operating... Baseball baseball stars. Yeah, he's basically operating in a different stratosphere now. Yes. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I won't go into the other issue with the marrow evaluation. Yeah, there was another fundamental issue that uh, PwC were not willing to put their name to it. <laughs> um, it was it was like a fag packet estimate that no one was willing to to sign off their PI on. Oh, okay. <laughs> and anyway, <laughs> anyway, we don't need to. Read anyway, that, do we? Um, marrow is incredible. Let's stick with that point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <coughs> Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, he's on Rock Nation. There you go. Marcus Rashford. Oh yeah, and Mario Toji's oh, part nice. of that as well. Heard of him. Yeah, Marcus Ras- Rashford. Which... Uh, his uh, image rate will have gone up in the last six months or so. Hundred percent, indeed. Um, which of the other games do you want to talk about? Ireland, Scotland. Uh, I've probably got an apology to make to uh, to Ireland because we were. I mean, they've answered a lot of critics, and I think. Well, mind you, the our frustration with Ireland was only minute compared to the hammering they've been getting from the Irish press this week. My God, it is a total goldfish bowl you're in. In Irish rugby, isn't it? It's, it reminds me a lot of Wales. Um, they are very, they're very up and down. It, it seems, to, it seems to be the Irish in particular have got much more passionate about their rugby, both in the good times and the bad. Mm. Uh, yeah, and right now, would you say it's good or bad times overall? I know this was a good result. How do you, how do you guys stand I, on on Farrell Senior at the helm? I honestly think they're at a tipping point. If they'd have lost this, the world would have imploded. I think he'd have been under some serious pressure. He'd be under Wayne Pivak style pressure because the Irish have everything. They've got incredible setup. They've got incredible production line of talent. Um, they've got incredible South Africans too. Um, you know, you you <laughs> add it all. To, uh, sorry, New Zealanders too. Um, you know, you add it all together, they've got one of the slickest operations in world, in world rugby. And Farrell is kind of the missing piece of that jigsaw to make it all tick. And if it doesn't tick to a very high level, I think Ireland need to be expecting to be the peers of England and France now. I, I was thinking about this when everyone was getting on. Uh, uh, you know, I was 
become made aware and could see the the reports and what everyone was saying and uh, and writing about Andy Farrell. He, and he's been under he's under a lot of pressure. I think he is. He's under a lot of pressure. And, and I did suddenly wonder. He hasn't actually spent any time in Ireland in the provinces, so he doesn't maybe understand how it it all works. And I did wonder if Ireland approached or thought about approaching Pat Lamb because I I suddenly thought he's a man that spent time in the provinces there. He understands how the the Irish system yeah. works. He could be a future future Irish coach. He definitely he definitely could be. Um, I wonder if Pat Lamb is destined for even greater things beyond Ireland. I don't know what that thing would be. I've got a feeling that. Um, yeah, Pat Lamb's future is incredibly high, incredibly high profile. Um, yeah, I tend, I tend to agree with that. And also, isn't Pat Lamb the most expensive or second most expensive coach in the world? He might be actually. He might already be doing okay actually. Yeah, it's, it's, um, Steve Lansdowne has got a few quid to throw around, and and is doing it with some serious talent, mm. um, including Pat Lamb. No wonder Pat Lamb talks about being on a journey all the time because he's probably. <laughs> Able to take a few of them, the Maldives, the Mauritius, and he, he deserves every penny. Uh, I, I, I would expect Leo Cullen might be the next man for Ireland, but maybe um, Stuart Lancaster. It could Stu. be Ronan O'Gar. Ronan O'Gar uh, could be as well. He does yeah. strike me as a guy who's been groomed for something big too. Yeah, but I, I really like the route that Ronan O'Gar has taken. But he also on that on the Ronan O'Gar thing, I have no idea what I'm talking about here because I don't know the internal politics, but. It would strike me that if they wanted him in the Irish setup, he would have been he would have been allocated to a region. Oh, sorry, a region, a province. I'm sure he could have got a slot if he, he, could, he could have got a job at one if he wanted it. But I think he's proactively gone and travelled the world does this to not, soak up as much as he can. Does this not make you really angry though? It makes me really angry because oh. I hate the idea that the. That the the Irish Union or the Welsh Union or anyone who indulges in this sort of thing will say to a player, you have to play on our shores and take our money on our pay scale if you're a player. But if you're a coach and we think you're getting good enough experience overseas, by all means stay there and then we'll give you the job later. I think that there's something deeply hypocritical about that, if that's what it is. So that's why I also expect Ireland to pick their coaches from their provinces or from their existing setup. Because anything which anyone they bring in from outside, to me, stinks of stinks of hypocrisy. Same for the RFU when they bring in someone like Eddie, and same for well, actually not same for the WRU. Because to be fair to them, they went after Pivik and so and Scotland, who don't have that rule, actually had someone who came through uh, Glasgow. Mm. Um. I'm I'm not sure that is the case. Uh, just I, as in, I think it's more of a Ronan O'Gara decision. Yeah, I might, I might be totally wrong on that, but I, I think it's more of his decision to go and get the experience before he ultimately goes back to Ireland and gets the the big job. Yeah, you don't want to take that job too early, do you? God no. They've got a few guys. I can imagine. I don't know who would be. I don't know who would be in charge and who'd be second fiddle. But you can you can imagine a an O'Gara O'Connell combo. <laughs> yeah. That's a difficult um, one, isn't it, to be the main man there? And if, O'Gara is he's in charge of La Rochelle at the moment, who are currently top of the top 14. Yeah. yeah. Which, is, which is not bad. It's not bad at all, really, is it's it? It's all right, isn't it? Yeah, it's all right. With, with, uh, behind him, in order, is Toulouse, Racing 92, Claremont, Lyon, Toulon, then Stade Francais, then Bordeaux. I'd love to so go to Some, to some fairly uh, handy teams chasing La Rochelle right. down. They're all right. Yeah, 
So that's one to watch. Anyway, but Andy Farrell had a very positive day and we all predicted a narrow Scottish win because we thought the momentum was in Scotland's favour. But Ireland answered a lot of critics and looked a lot more fluent than they have done in a while. Yeah, they battered them, didn't they? They did. Uh, oh. Second half in particular, I thought first half, um, Jacques van, van der Walt and co. looked good. Jacques van der Walt, by the way, looks like the guy who is more likely to be the stand-in for Finn Russell in the future. Adam Hastings? No, Jacques van der Walt. You think he'll go out, jump ahead? Yeah, of yeah, Adam yeah, Hastings? sorry. Yes, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. Um, it just, they, you know, Scotland just looked good. They played with a little bit more ambition. But then Ireland started to grind through the gears, and as they as they did that, they also uh, they also ground 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 down Scotland. And in the end, it was a pretty convincing victory, actually. Yeah, it was. It was fairly comfortable. When uh, when Peter Romani is running riot in the <laughs> yeah. wide channels, bouncing, almost scoring yeah. in the corner, Grubber kicks through. Uh, he ran over Ali Price at one yeah, point. Yeah, that's right. That was just he, before the yellow card. You're having a good day. Yeah. Uh, who who got yellow card? Oh, Duncan, uh, Duncan Taylor. Duncan Taylor, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Scotland. I don't know what the answer is for, for Scotland. You always think that they're nearly there, and I often think they are. Yeah, Scotland are probably more than anyone capable of a performance which is way above what they do in the in the average performance. They can outperform, but uh, when they kind of yeah, they, when they kind of do something like this you start to doubt them again. Yeah, and Ireland needed their half-backs to, to step up and have a good game. And Colin Murray and Johnny Sexton were decent. They were good again, which yeah. it, it suddenly makes a whole difference to that whole team because that, that, that 9-10 combo is so crucial to a, how a team functions. And what they've got inside of that, the back row with all those youngsters coming through and the, 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 the backs they've got, uh, they can do some damage. Yeah. And they did. I wonder if part of the island's problem throughout the tournament is looking for the replacement for either Sexton or Murray because they have experimented. Uh, the, both players haven't always been been available. Uh, and actually, I thought that um, who was the lad who started started the tournament? The guy who plays Flanster, Jameson Gibson Park. Jameson Gibson Park. Oh, actually sorry, had a really, really good game. Uh, but you know, John Cooney's doing well for Ulster, who are eight from eight in the Pro Fourteen. Just putting it out there. Yes. John Cooney, top point scorer in the uh, league and Ulster unbeaten. Yeah. Well, M- yeah. Marion Sexton will go down as probably one of the uh, better halfbacks in in rugby history. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, so, yeah. The, the classic halfback pairing. Um, in, an interesting question on scrum halves at the moment. If you were picking a Lions test 15 tomorrow, who would you pick? The scrum, the scrum, the scrum half are truly dreadful. I can't remember a worse time to pick a scrum half. Uh, Connor Murray probably has to be the starter. But, I mean, he is getting on in age. I, it looks to me as if Ireland would like to move on if they could. Then of, where, Wales have always been a good place to get a scrum half from. But they've, have they had four starters in, in the Autumn Nations Cup? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they are going through scrum halves like no one's business. So they're not settled in any way. So you can't say that's a clear one. Ben Youngs didn't even make the last Lions tour. No, well, he, uh, and I did prefer. Did. I prefer he did make the tour. Did but, he? Yeah, he did. He got but, he got yeah. selected and stood down he because of ah, Tom yes, Youngs, yes. his wife. Yeah. So I mean, I would love for Ben Youngs to have an amazing Six Nations and go on the tour purely because of that. Because you know the circumstances four years ago were were you know 
I mean, thank goodness that had a happy, well, re- you know, a happy ending uh, after, after it all. But yeah, uh, it was it was a really sad way to be robbed of uh, an incredible opportunity. But I preferred England so much more when Dan Robson came on, and only because we had the mm. extra time, we had a bit of free rugby. He got more than twenty minutes. We yeah. actually got a full a half Eddie hour must, or so. Of, Eddie must be fuming. Yeah, furious. <laughs> we got a full half hour or so. Get him of Dan off, Robson. Isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean. If you'd have asked me before this Autumn Nations Cup, I probably would have gone, oh, Gareth Davis would probably be starting. Yeah, Gareth, oh, Gareth Davis, when he came on, was was very good. Uh, the Scottish, I mean, Ali, Ali Price, Price yeah. I like the, I like him. He's a good scrum off, but, you know, he's not, he's not going to win you a Lions series. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think any, I don't think any scrum half from a British or Irish side currently gets in the top four. South African scrum halves. Oh no, no, Wood, Wood gets in the top three. No, it gets in the top. Well, no, Wood. They probably have to. No, they'd probably be the fourth choice. I think South African yeah, yeah. scrum half. I genuinely think the most effective scrum half for England, who is English at, and not English at the moment, as if, as if he's going to change, <laughs> who's permanently English but playing at the moment, uh, is Richard Wigglesworth. I still think Richard Wigglesworth is a tremendous, but he's not going to get picked. No. So no. I don't. I, there is no clear. No, the clear one is Murray, but he's not as good as four years ago. Yeah, I'm. I I think Murray, he he's a very good scrum half, but I want someone who's going to have a running threat, even even if you don't use it, but just to keep defenses on their toes. Think, yeah. And of all those, Gareth Davis is probably the yeah. best Definitely. running threat. Well, yeah, he is definitely the best running threat. I, I You're right, that, that's the jersey that is most up for grabs, not because there's so much competition like other jerseys, because there's a <laughs> there's a dearth of yeah. scrum halves operating <laughs> at elite level currently. Maybe the Six Nations irons us out. Maybe Murray's fit throughout the Six Nations, plays like vintage Murray. I mean, if Young's plays like vintage Young's, I don't think he'll be picked. And then Wales, someone emerges. I don't know. I've got no I, idea. I think maybe, you know, we should uh, propose a new rule. There used to be one where you always took an uncapped player along the Lions tour. And I would love that to still be the case. Yes. That was one of the amateur things they always did. They always took one uncapped player. That's how Will Greenwood went in 97. Um, or was it John Bentley? No, no, he had played for England. And I think Will Greenwood might have been the last. In fact, that's a good. that'd be a good question of yeah, I mean, who was the last uncapped player to you're go not, to go on a Lions tour I think it might have been Will Green. you're not confusing this with the Barbarians are you no okay no Lions tours traditionally always took one uncapped player I'd like that it, to come back but if it didn't then how about we're allowed to, you're allowed to take one Frenchman <laughs> and let's take a scrum off yeah. well I don't have a cap just saying um, <laughs> yeah I was uh, again talking to Benjamin Kayser Benjamin Kayser this week, and I am convinced that the best Lions tour, which we will never see, would be to France. Like, I mean, if it if the Lions tour didn't sustain most of the most of the most Southern Hemisphere unions, the the tour to France would be unbelievable. That'd be so. I good. mean, the midweek games, well, just the number of people that would go across as well. Yeah, I mean, maybe I don't know how they squared that circle, but. Uh, yeah, obviously it deprives all Southern Hemisphere teams of some very valuable income, and it's not well. It is touring, isn't it? It is touring because you're in France and you are away from away from home. But you could play Clermont, you could go to uh, La Defense, the La Defense Arena, you could go to Lot. I mean, just the games, the, they're delicious. I bet, 
I bet there would. I bet there's some amazing history. You know how England used to have like the southwest, the southeast, uh, northwest, northeast, yeah, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I bet there was some amazing representative rugby in France oh, in yeah. the 60s, 70s, 80s that they could rekindle. What I mean... oh yeah, like representative teams, oh, like yeah. like like the Parisian Metro team or whatever the hell it is. Like, might yeah, be. or the the the, the Sudwest, like the yeah. southwest rugby, southeast rugby. The, um... Oh, what's the, the what's yeah, the, Provence. The, the, the the Provence or the Riviera, um, the French Riviera teams, all those on the on the Mediterranean yeah. coast. Yeah, well, well, so when I was a kid, I used to watch to death these two. Do you remember a hundred and one great tries, and then another hundred and one great tries? <laughs> these two, <laughs> these two VHSs that were just a series of classic, amazing tries. So, what happened in them? <laughs> but in that, I remember there were some games from the early eighties that they showed clips of that was England and Wales versus Scotland and Ireland. I think, I think it was some centenary game or something like that, but uh, you had these, you had, you had one side that, that they they did these quartered diamond quartered jerseys, red and white and another one blue and green. And they played against each other. I'd, um, and I, I just like to see some fun fixtures like that. That'd be really cool. So I interviewed Rob Kitson and I could never put the, the interview out on rugby dungeon because Something he swore too much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because <laughs> something, something happened to my laptop, and the sound is just garbage, and it's I'm devastated because it was you know really good conversation. But he started his journalism career doing match reports for like the Met Police, and I just wish that there were serious teams now, like the um, like UK Fire uh, Fire Brigade, or you know the Army, or some some such thing like that, because there used to be loads of them. Hmm. Yeah, when they did the 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 table of there wasn't a table; it was just a long list of kind of ranked teams. Yeah, and then the fixture secretary just stitch it up so they can all play their mates and yeah, what, yeah and whatnot. So yeah, well, good we, times. Yeah, well, we'll we'll hold up for um or hold out, I should say, for a Lions tour over to America because I'll definitely do that one. But scr- yeah, scrum after on a postcard. Let, let us know at rugby. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Podcast, because I don't know. I'll just ask one question as well, which... um, So I was watching the Argentina-Australia game on Saturday morning, and I was just marvelling at at, at Marcos Crema. He's one of my favourite players. He's just so hard. He is. And Rob Bickerman joined in and was... uh, was appreciating the manliness of Marcos and sort of hatched a, hatched a question which 
we were chatting and I thought I'd uh, bring it up now. If you had to represent from each nation a player to be, to be like an MMA fighter in a kind of rugby MMA fight, Royal yeah. Rumble, who would you pick? And the ones that came in were for Canada, and I've, I've allowed some recently retired players as well okay. as current yeah. players. For Canada, Jamie Cudmore. Yes. This is a great shout. For uh, I love the Wales one because Wales there was a couple of shouts. Which would you go for? Josh Navidi is a great shout. Brilliant. Or Moriarty. Moriarty. I'd go. I'd go Navidi over Moriarty. Would you? Oh, I don't know. Moriarty is hard as nails. No, Navidi is. So there's two ways to right. Okay, so there's two ways to look at this, right? Do you pick the guy who you think would be hardest in the pub? You know, who would look hard. You know, that kind of hard. That would definitely be Mor- Moriarty. Or do you pick the guy who you want to take over to, you know, your uh, your fox catcher gym, which you have on your ranch, <laughs> and then groom into a great grappler slash MMA fighter? And that would definitely be Navidi. That that guy has got what it takes. Or Liam Williams. Liam Williams. That's yeah, because obviously it's weight. You know, talking a sport MMA weight categories. Liam Williams. Do you know who I think would be the champ of all champs? Go on, Marrow. There's no, yes. Marrow. There's no way that he wouldn't. Sam Underhill with those shoulders. Do you not think he'd be? Yeah, but he's so he's so strong, so small, so squat. What? Where would he? Where would he go? Where, what, what? What weight class? He, he might be too. He might be too small and squat. Too mm. heavy for his height. Yeah. Like someone, uh, someone like Cor- Cor- someone like Courtney Laws, with like long levers, would be great. Mm. That, that's what I'm thinking. Height matters. Yeah. You need tall yeah. guys. You need tall, rangy guys. Long wings, wings fan. Mm. Um, uh, the other one for England, potentially, though, on a, diff- a different body type, would be Genge. Just yep. his, his attitude. He would. Hey, well, we, we won't have to guess how uh, ex rugby players go because I assume James Haskell will get his fight again at some point. I don't Hopefully. know. I've heard him talk about that and it sounds like it's gone, but yeah, we'll Surely see. too much money's been spent on him not, not to. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, Ireland, Peter Omani got the most votes. He is just hard. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah. Um, what was it? The uh, uh, South Africa, uh, either Peter Steftatoy or Ebenezerbeth. <laughs> Take your Whichever. Pick. Uh, Italy, <laughs> there was a few shouts, but I still, I, I'd still go Sergio. Mm. Just, so, just so I could see him with his top off again. Yeah. No, I yeah. Don't. Scotland, Give me Sergio. Scotland, there weren't many, Finn. many shouts. Finn, Finn yeah, Finn. <laughs> Insanity, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Chris Jones tweeted that that uh, Cheslin Colby for South Africa would have a Ray Mysterio vibe about him. That, yes, that yes, work. <laughs> yes, he absolutely would. But for players that are now retired, I think the winner of all of this uh, would be Danny Grucock. Just mm. get, get him in there. Well, he is also a black belt in judo. Is he? Do you not know that? No, I didn't know that. That's like a, a real. So we've got a story about um, one of our very good friends used to work with Danny Grucock's mum. Uh, sorry. One of our very good friends' mum used to work with Danny Grucock's mum, right? Okay, well, and, yeah, but I need to know what Danny Grucock's mum did. You you went through a period of telling us what players' mums did. Yeah, I think she's a teacher. <laughs> Johnny May? I don't know. Mum's an author. <laughs> no, <laughs> Nick no. Kennedy. Nick Kennedy, mum's an author. Yeah, and uh, Luke Narraway? Uh, Dad's a butcher. Butcher. Of course he is. <laughs> uh, Jack, uh, Jack Noel? Fishmonger. Fishmonger, yeah. Fish, fisherman. Fisherman. Not fisherman. Oh, right, well, very different. Um, one of my just just on that one of my favorite um, rugby podcast stories was me and JB in uh, Chicago watching the USA captains run Nick Kennedy who was coaching them for a short period of time 
uh, walks past us and JB JB says, "Oh, you're Nick Kennedy. Your mum's an author." introduction. But we instantly bonded then, so that was fine. Yeah, but you could imagine him going, "All oh, right, so so what? You're uh, you're in publishing?" Or, "Oh no, no, no I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm 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 here because of rugby. I love rugby." All oh, right, but I, you know, I play. I'm Nick Kennedy, rugby player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Your mum's kind of a big deal. It was it, it was good opening that. Uh, <laughs> great, great opening. Uh, <laughs> uh, where was the story going? Oh yeah, so our friend, who's a very good second rower. Um, his mum used to tell Danny Grucock's mum all the time what a great player her son was without ever without Danny Grucock's oh, mum no. ever mentioning that she was the mum of Danny Grucock. Oh, <laughs> I love that. I mean, that probably makes his mum just mortified in retrospect. But how nice and polite was that? It, well, it makes my it makes my friend Trev very 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 upset. Because <laughs> how. I don't know oh, how that's, it came that's, up. that's very polite yeah. of Danny Grucock's mum, though, because she could have just. Yeah, I don't know she how could've, she could have just shout, um, pissed on her chips. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our Paul's very good, you know. He plays at the local club. He starts every week. Oh, <laughs> he's a, he was a handy player, Trev. He's very a great, player. great player. Was he Danny Grucock level? Um, In aspects, debat- I guess it's debatable. Yeah, I, I loved one of the most awesome sights was. I've said this before on the podcast, but I used to, when I was at Bath University, we used to use the gym and quite often the Bath players would be in using the, the weights as well. And watching Danny Grucock do squats and deadlifts and uh, cleans, yeah. oh, it was just so good to watch. Mm, I bet. He wore he wore these tiny shorts and uh, just yeah. an impressive, imp- uh, impressive man. Did, oh, and I was going to say, did Dave Flat- Flatman ever use the gym? But he's not from Bath, is he? He's from London. Flatsis from London, but he was playing. Was he? No, he's playing Saracens. Saracens no, no, no. first, weren't they? Yeah, no, but Grucock was Saracens first. He was. You're right. Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe there was some crossover. I don't know. No, so this was this would have been like 2003, something like that. So right at the end of Grucock's career. Okay. Oh, no, mm. there anyway. you go. Well, it was Grucock in the World Cup squad? No, he wasn't. It was Ben Kay. Oh no, no, he wasn't. Ben Kay. He was after that, wasn't Martin he? Martin Johnson. No, Grucock no. was before that. But who was the other second rows then? Um, Gru- Corey. Gru- Corey Gru- went. Not in the World Cup squad. I think he might have been in the squad. Maybe he was. But not on the bench. Yeah. Um, I've been the fourth one. It was it was Kay, Johnson, Corey, and might have been Grucock. Yeah, maybe actually. Anyway. I, I, I seem to think he was. Yeah, Grucock. Um, Shaw called up. Yeah, um, Danny Grucock suffered an injury mid-tournament. I'm sure he meant... Danny Grucock... uh, Has a World Cup medal, then. (laughs) Um, Here we go, yeah. He has got a World Cup medal. Uh, His Wikipedia page is um, uncertain what he injured, but I'll read this to you. He was only able to make one appearance during the 2003 World Cup after uh, after a toe injury and breaking a hand in England's match against Uruguay. Oh. So two bad injuries kept him out. Shame. So anyway, I um, guess we should move this on from hot Grucock chat. Uh, we spoke about Cremo, we spoke about Australia and uh, Argentina, albeit briefly. I guess we have to speak about um, Matera. 
and Petty and Cecino. Yes, indeed. All three of three them. Three of them. Don't forget the other two, because um, Pablo Matera is uh, taking all the heat, um, and rightly so, he, he's, there's heat to take, but the, there, were, there were two other guys who did exactly the same, who uh, should not be forgotten in all this. Right, so what is it that we're talking about? Right, so if you've been on another planet, um, these three Argentinian players have had tweets revealed from uh, between... Seven, eight, or nine years ago, when they were well, when, when in the case of Pablo Matera, he was between the ages of seventeen and nineteen, which were racist, they were disgusting, they were egregious, they were outrageous things to say, um, yeah, which which speak for themselves. It's I think that there's probably a, a distinctions to make here, though, in how we talk about this. One in terms of what was said, yeah. Two in terms of the players and the union's reaction to it and then three what should happen next yeah completely uh, completely agree so I, I yeah i also agree with the distinctions between the the different categories too uh, the first thing i think on this is that um when you think about the punishment you're gonna have to to break that down into two uh, do you punish someone for the sake of it? Which I think there's good arguments to say that you do. If someone's done something bad, they should repent. They should do. You know, they they should be punished. But also, punishment is there to reform the character. And I think in the case of Pablo Matera, um, it strikes me he's been a fairly good character since these tweets. Although I can't actually confirm that. I don't know. But if if that is the case, if he did these um, these tweets when he was somewhere between seventeen and nineteen. And then since then has had a spotless record and is a completely different person now. I don't see the point in the punishment for reform purposes, but I do see the point in the punishment for punishment purposes. Does that make sense? Yes, uh, it, it makes sense to me. Right. Uh, I, I think there's one other thing to add um, to your to your um, well-rounded um, setup to this, Tim, which is there has been a degree of punishment already, which the Argentine rugby union. Uh, suspended these guys for uh, well, they suspended them indefinitely and stripped Matera of the captaincy uh, at the start of last week, and then towards the end of last week, um, a day or two before the game against Australia, they were reinstated. Um, albeit these guys did not play. Were they, were they available to play? Uh, don't know is the honest answer. I don't think that would. I don't think the union said anything on that. All they said was. They were reinstated. Um, that that is the most bizarre. Madness. Yeah. That is the the. Well, it's not the worst thing out of all this. That's not what I mean. But that is. Well, it's, what it are they think? Be... What are what are they thinking? Having, I mean, we can talk about whether stripping of a captaincy was um, was, you know, was necessary or not. But having done it, having taken that decision, <laughs> it just makes it look like a really pathetic attempt at. A PR management gonna, to, to then yeah. go back on it two days later. I'm going to disagree with you on that, Tim. I think it might be the worst part of it because I was talking to a very, uh, very, pro- very prominent black player about this, and the basic view was people do th- stupid things when they're young, and indeed they yeah. do. Let well, firstly, I'm not saying I've I've certainly haven't said what Pablo Matera said, but <laughs> just on a more broad general level, if I was judged by everything I've ever said, then I I would I'll hold my hands up and say I'm guilty of lots of things, but I would also say that I'm taking everyone down with me because we all are. Yeah, <laughs> I've certainly never done what, what, what they did, um, and, I, and yes. nor, nor would I. 
No, uh, <laughs> you've got a good point. Um, the actions of the Argentine Union, however, are not to use the word I hate a lot, but they're lit- they are literally systemic. I mean, that is a system issue. To reinstate someone two days afterwards is by far the worst part because it sends completely the wrong It sends an awful message. Do you want to hear my little theory? I've got no idea if this is true or not, but I I couldn't help but thinking that the fact they did it before the game and only two days later made me go, has there been some kind of uh, in the hotel where they're all in their bubble? Has there been a little revolt by players unhappy about the treatment of their teammates? Goodness, yeah. And, And, you know, maybe putting the whether the game goes ahead or not, in jeopardy, and that's why they reinstated him. Because it just seems like such a oh, ridiculous own goal from the AR, uh, from the AOU and from the Argentinian Rugby Union, and just looks awful. Yes. It really, it really does look awful. It's awful optics. Because they, they could have. Argentina aren't due to play again for probably six months. Even if they thought this, they could have... Um, it isn't even if they thought they wanted to re, uh, reinstate Matera without due process, um, they could have done it, but just made it look like they've gone through a the the correct what in most of the rugby world's eyes would be the correct process to uh, do a proper investigation in into this um, and investigate both the historic tweets and the the scenarios surrounding them, but also as Jay was setting out. Um, before are these genuinely reformed characters or are these views um that they still hold um and it you could easily see a scenario where there is um, genuine contrition these were stupid things said when they were kids and they they are genuinely remorseful and they've moved on and hugely regret it um and a punishment befitting that would be far less than one where they still hold these views, for example. Yeah, and I which th- would be which would be disgusting. Yeah, I agree. And the fact that there is one more game and then there's a natural period of time, I think yeah. there was no there was nothing needed to be done except saying we completely denounce any views like that. Yeah. These players are not going to play this weekend and then we're going to take all necessary steps to make sure that we've done all the due, due diligence. That's all they needed to say. They didn't need to say Pablo Matera is not our captain. But in my opinion, that may well be the decision they come to when they have, a, the, exactly as you described, Phil, when they have the full, they put the full processes involved. I didn't, but now that just looked like a really, uh, un, uh, uh, um, a performative yeah. statement that they didn't actually mean. Well, clearly they didn't mean it. But that made that's that's what made me think, because it looks so bad. That made me think, have the Argentinian players kicked off about this? So I, I've never, I never considered that angle. I, I've, I don't know why they did it. I, I've been baffled as to why they did, did it, but that would certainly make sense. Um, and I get, I guess that would be a image thing, wouldn't it? You know, why have you having the whole team walk out because they sided with someone accused of racism? Well, no, someone who is who has done racist things is probably more damaging for the sports than having. The union rode back, I guess. I mean, they're, yeah. they're at least equally damaging. Yeah. yeah, if that game couldn't go ahead and Argentina had to say it's because um, they've, they're have they on strike Hang on because, <laughs> because of what we did. Hang on, I've just given you two options there. I've given you the union backtracks, that's bad. 
the union doesn't backtrack and then the players revolt on that's bad because they're siding with racist behavior i guess the worst one would be the unions backtracked because the players were going to revolt because because of siding with a player who was guilty of racist behavior so actually the worst i guess the worst one would be the one they currently have which is backtracking if if it turns out that there has been some untowards things happening in in the camp yeah that that would be the worst one that's actually i mean we've this is all total speculation so uh, you know i don't want to engage in tabloid tabloidy journalism oh you should do um so i don't know but it's just i just it's strange it's really strange what the one thing i was disappointed i mean disappointed with the argentinian rugby union for the reasons um you know phil just spelled out i'm really disappointed that that the argentinian rugby union is the focus of what we're talking about because it shouldn't be and i I don't think they needed to do anything beyond say these players aren't playing and we're going to fully yeah. investigate this and trust us. This is not acceptable and we will, we, you know, we will fully investigate this. That's all they needed to say. Yeah, because there's a na- there's easy. a natural break. That's it. And then the missing piece of the jigsaw then would have been uh, in front of the uh, you know with their Argentinian rugby tracksuits on. So in official capacity, Matera, Petty, and Cecino sit there at a press conference, invite all the press they want, invite all the cameras, invite all the TV cameras, take their penance, take their medicine and Christ. sit and, and sit there and are asked all the questions and speak very honestly and presumably say what Pablo Matera put out in an Instagram message saying, that wasn't me, I deeply regret that, that's not how I think now, that's an awful, awful thing to have said and it, and, and it doesn't reflect me as, as a person. If he'd sat and taken his medicine like a man instead of putting a an Instagram message out. I hate this. I hate those Instagram. Things. I hate the apology. Over. If you're gonna do it, read it out on it in like on a statement to cameras or something. I don't think it's or do it alongside your Instagram statement. Don't just do the yeah. Instagram statement on your phone on on bloody Google Notes. So so Matera and the players have failed to do a proper apology. Um, I, I, and not just an apology because an apology apology in my mind would be insufficient, but show genuine contrition and show recognition of how wrong their their previous actions were and what could be done to make it right. The Argentinian rugby union have failed to uh, properly sanction them and properly have an investigation into this. The question for me now is, uh, will World Rugby do anything? Will they step in? Because uh, a few years ago, uh, two, three years ago, when Joe Marler called uh, Samson Lee Gypsy Boy, World Rugby stepped in and gave him both a ban, I think it was a two-match ban, and a £20,000 fine. Now, that's it. That, yeah, you're right. A two-match ban, and Joe Marler yeah. was an international rugby player the same age as Pablo Matera is now. Yeah, now. And I think the Joe Marler one, uh, what what he said, and this sounds awful now, I'm making, uh, I'm basically being the guy that I hate by me by making distinctions between different types of racism racism is just racism but for whatever reason it is I find what Pablo Matero said far more jarring than what Joe Marler said that but simultaneously I think that the Joe Marler incident is more serious than because the, the, the Pablo Matero he was doing he, it whilst wearing an England rugby jersey and he was doing it to an individual there was a clear a clear victim he was trying to instigate an emotional reaction from Samson Lee, based on who he is, 
and, and that a to character me, a, a based based on a, a, an immutable character. Yeah. Well, it's not immutable because it's a family, but yeah, well, it's based on his identity. Based on his identity, actually, which it, of which he ca- he has no control over. He he, he made a yeah. highly personal attack. Now that's all that's all uh, water under the bridge. We can all move on, uh, but that to me is a far far worse scenario than a stupid seventeen year old. Providing it was just this one thing, because if it's more than that, then you've got a real problem. Well, whoever I think whoever went looking for it went through several years. I think they did. I think they did a full audit. <laughs> well, yeah, if they've gone through seven. Certainly, yeah. of his Twitter account, I think he's had a full audit done. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess so. <laughs> I guess if there's been an extensive investigation already from a third party, uh, he might be in the clear. But you know, it's still an awful, awful thing to thing thing to say, thing to do. And what a fall from grace from the from the week before. Yeah, well, he'll yeah. always. Yeah, uh, uh, just the... you know, world rugby. Just, I know this is not the point, but I'm going to make it anyway. World rugby must be holding their head in their hands. I mean, overnight they had this world megastar with these wonderful, share, with these wonderful shareable moments about a, a still an emerging nation. No matter what what you think of Argentina, they're still an emerging nation. I thought, yeah, we've cracked it. We've, we've got the guy to you know sell this sport across the whole of the Spanish-speaking world. Fast forward two weeks, what a disaster. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. Hope, I hope this is a, a learning moment for a, a lot of young people. I'll, I'll certainly mention it to, to my lad, you know, not not the content of what he said, but just the fact that there is a digital record of everything you do. Oh, I mean... Uh, yeah. I thank God I didn't have bloody social media when I was... Yeah, I... Teen- when I was... Because I... Oh, Teenagers are stupid. I mean, I'm clear, and clearly in Pablo Matera's case, Pablo Matera had racist thoughts, yeah. or at least I don't know wh- whether it was some sort of bravado. I, who knows about the cultural thing? But whatever it was, that was not that makes it awful. Any, not that makes it any better whatsoever. No, but a 17-year-old rugby player in Argentina is not a big deal. His Twitter account was little more than a publicly available WhatsApp between him and his mates. Fast forward 10, 10 years or what. Or whatever it is, and he's one of the biggest stars in in the game. What you put on your um, t- what you put on your Twitter accounts, and again, this is not the point. I'm not saying don't do it because you might get caught, or don't do it because you didn't realise that you were yeah. going to get famous. But you know, <laughs> it's just it, if you're growing up now in the in the world of world of social media, you've just got to be it. so bloody just, careful. Just, just don't do it. Yeah, and I, yeah. you know, I, I'm careful is not the word. Because again, you know, it sounds like I'm making excuses. Well, let's, not. let's just remember. Let's just remember, like, so what Pablo Matera and Petty and Cecino said it, when they were teenagers was uh, was and is racist. It, uh, but yeah. but I would just also point out that uh, you know um, Winston Churchill uh, has been cancelled by some people, mm-hmm. and so has uh, Brunel. And some some incredible people of incredible standing. So my point being that that's that's people judging standards. In this case, it's not the case. But I would just I would say to young people, uh, young rugby players, just don't bother because it lasts forever. And uh, yeah, well, it's just not worth. Hopefully, the punishment will be proportionate, uh, and we send the exact correct message via World Rugby or whoever it is that that, um, that take, takes takes this case up that it's not acceptable. Yeah, and I would and have... Someone needs to come down hard on the Argentine Union because oh, yes. the Matera stuff is dreadful, the handling of it is dreadful, and it just magnifies I would it compounds uh, it. What I would have liked to have seen is a situation where World Rugby came out and said um, we 
denounce those statements uh, that were made by those young players um, and we redouble our efforts to you know eradicate uh, a- any lingering racism from our game um, and that's all they'd need to say because yeah. they wouldn't actually need to say and we are banning a player for because that almost that doesn't really seem like the point here because uh, the Argentinian rugby union should have yes should have done something that world rugby all they need to do is put out a statement saying we d- we denounce those comments and we're going to eradic- eradicate from the game and no one would be going hold on aren't you going to ban them aren't you going to ban him because just um, just another point on this right if joe marler got two games for what he said to Thompson lee on an international rugby pitch on an international rugby pitch in front of the cameras as a grown man with all knowing all the things that he knows and all the responsibilities that he has Maybe, maybe the Joe Moller bum was too, too, too like come, come think of it. But if you use that as your yardstick, how long should should Matera get? I mean, well, I, this is what I mean. I, I, don't, I, I, don't I, I don't, I don't think it's a world rugby thing. Personally, well, I, I don't think it's a world rugby thing to to sanction. I, I think that that's not to say that there aren't issues that world rugby can can have a positive influence on. And that's more. I would almost say it's a proactive. Here's what we're doing about uh, eradicating racism from our game. The ARU, the Argentinian Rugby Union, dealt with that. We denounced those comments. Phil, so to, to answer your question, uh, how long could this be? I mean, I could see a scenario where now that World Rugby are involved, um, and I would have preferred uh, the Argentine Rugby Union to deal with this properly, but now they are involved, you could see the context of these messages being a much, much greater ban. But then other factors coming in, for example, these are uh, between seven and nine years ago, and these were not international rugby players at the time of tweeting it. Yeah. So you could see it being dropped down to a perhaps comparable um, ban. Is the way to when, look at when it, you bring those factors in? Is the way to look at it to say, look, uh, here is the punishment for this sort this sort of behaviour, and it is. I'm just going to make this up a life ban, right? Um, if I, I, I think I would probably, if a current international tweeted something like that, I was like, it was it was genuine sentiments from a current international. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be far behind you in saying that that is one of the few things that could um, warrant a lifetime ban. Yeah. So we say, look, this thing is that bad. It's a lifetime ban or a couple of years ban. It, it's a big ban. It, it's Huge. as big as the bans you can give. It's there because that's the crime. But much like a high tackle or anything else, and I'm not just saying that flippantly, I'm not saying that in an ill-advised way, you have a punishment in order to de-incentivize the behavior and then you ratchet it down. So you ratchet it down because, okay, well, he was 17. Okay, he's from a different culture. Okay, he's you know he, he was, was he, he he was drinking. He didn't yeah. he didn't mean it. He never thought it would be read by anyone but his mates. All, all of those. All, yeah, so then you have the, I mean, yeah, all of those things layer on layer on layer on layer until you yeah. get to your fi- get to your final punishment. But if Joe Marler is the um, the precedence, you've got to say it's around two games. But then I think you look back and say, okay, let's just un- ignore the Joe Marler thing. That isn't fit fit for purpose. Yeah, I I will be interested to see what World Rugby do because Sorry, the ball has purpose. been put squarely in their court. They have to do something. Yeah, which is so fr- I find that so frustrating because it's this I don't. I see it as world rugby. I don't. I see it as world rugby's job to lead the game and bring our values into action. But 
that they shouldn't have had to do any more than just back up what the the Argentinian rugby union had already done. Yeah, it's not really fair yeah. on world rugby, is it? It's not fair yeah, on world rugby. I, is it? I, I agree with that. World rugby have that, but... got the worst job, which is, can you pick up all the pieces, please, from all these things which we failed to deal with? And yeah. you know, it's <laughs> time and time everyone expects world rugby to do everything, and you know, frankly, they can't. They're asked to do an awful lot of stuff which they're not equipped to do. The thing, I mean, obviously, aside from these being, as we've said. Uh, awful things to have said. The thing I find really frustrating about this, and kind of what I was touching on with the, you know, harking back to historical figures, is we've come so far. Whether it's just in seven, eight years, uh, in the lifespan since that that tweet, or whether you talk about twenty, thirty, forty, or fifty years, we've come so far, just generally in in society. But you know it, the game as well and it's uh it's really I, I it's awful to be it's really frustrating it's awful to dread to dredge this up i mean it's come to light and I'm, so I'm not saying i didn't want it to come to light but it's come to light and i think we sunlight's the best disinfectant show all this stuff up wherever it is but it just it just doesn't i don't it does it's it, so frustrating it doesn't reflect where we're at and it's horrible it's so frustrating because if you're like me and you're against so many things which you think are ineffective in relation to social justice in uh, inside the game and you broadly speaking think the game is a very decent place to be not just for us but for everyone else and then this comes up it gives ammunition yes to the people that want to fundamentally change the game and then you have to concede some ground and say maybe you were wrong in the first place and saying that uh, you know actually the game is a great place for everyone maybe you have to reconsider that and that is frustrating because it's very hard to admit that sometimes you can be wrong uh, that's why i find it find it frustrating yeah I think you just very succinctly made the point I was sort of yeah. trying to find. Yeah. And um, can we talk about something good? Yes. Uh, um, go on. Did you see? So I didn't get a chance to watch the full game. Uh, I've been grafting in the garden a lot this weekend again. What have you been yeah. doing uh, in your what's garden? What's going film? on in December as well? So uh, just let's get this clear. The two activities that you've been getting involved with are drinking in your garden. <laughs> um, not at the same. T- I've not been drinking while operating heavy machinery. Right. And, and Phil, uh, I'm, I'm assuming this is just you know plowing, plowing somewhere that you can have some, you can produce something of substance. This wouldn't just be like you know edging flower beds. And no, no, I'm, I'm guessing Phil has massively decreased the biodiversity of his garden. Am I correct? <laughs> Am I correct, Phil? Uh, you are correct. Have you found <laughs> There's been an enormous drop in biodiversity. Has it involved chainsaws? Have you filled uh, in your pond? The 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 three ponds are no more. He has three ponds. It's unbelievable. Had, had. That's. I have. I now have no no ponds, but I have a five side football pitch. Uh, pretty, oh, well, pretty much. Young Young Thomas and the Bump will appreciate that, but I'm, I also feel exactly. like if, in years to come they might they might say, "Dad, can we have a pond?" I, I, <laughs> I tell you what. When my parents built a pond. I've been asking. I was asking for a pond from the age of five, all the way up to God knows what age, probably twenty one. Seventeen, or yeah. Uh, I always want a pond. And when we got a pond, it was flipping brilliant. And Phil's just Phil. Am I allowed to talk, talk about your garden for two minutes? <laughs> of course. Phil had three ponds which he bought with his garden, right? And his garden used to be owned by a doctor of or a lecturer in Koi Carp. Uh, no, better than that. It's like, bio, like a, a botanist or some such thing. He's got this yeah. beautiful garden with all types of different flowers, wild areas, different ponds with different things. 
Um, one of the rumours about his ponds, because the, the Gordon used to take around, <laughs> that it was, what, nine foot deep? See, they said it was over six foot deep in the middle. Which, of course, it to was. To which JB eyed it up and said, no way, and then jumped in and, <laughs> and, and proved it came just above his knee. Yeah. It was about two, two foot, maybe three foot deep in the middle. And he's filled them all in for a football field. <laughs> and, and rugby field. And oh, tennis. Jesus. Oh, yeah. make, 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 makes my heart hurt that does. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm I'm a little bit sad as well. But uh, it's been it's been a long standing debate since we've been in this house whether the ponds were going to stay or go. Mate, um, um, the thing is, there is a there is that has a shelf life because I'm telling you, my kids are, are past the point where they give a damn about the garden. Yeah, except for <laughs> lying out there when it's sunny. There you go. <laughs> so you know. Anyway, oh, you can you can t- you can. Remake a pond, make a swimming pool in a decade. We live in you know, <laughs> Manchester, we get good weather enough for it. Anyway, exactly. Yes, so anyway, you, so you were out point. there doing that, so you didn't see, but you were going to say something good. Something good. I did watch the highlights and I loved, maybe my favourite try of the weekend uh, was the Batusta Delgi. Oh my God, that, that was like a 30 metre driving mall followed by an incredible yes. max move. Oh, so yeah. good. Total rugby. The driving mall and then a scurry of the scrum half breaks off. And turns um, JB's favourite player, Marika Corabetti, inside out. Yeah. And then... That handoff. Batista, oh, the handoff, the pace. Oh, it's just brilliant. What a, what a try. When's the last time a team drew three games in the same tournament? Uh, I think Australia have broken the record of number of international draws in a year. Is that right? I think so. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I mean, the odds you get for a, a draw in rugby, it's like 40 to 1 or 20 to 1. Yeah, yeah, generally around 20, 20 to 1, which means that it is less likely than that as well because the bookies aren't going to have it in your favour. Yeah, and, and so unlike flipping a coin where it's always it's always a half at odds, mm. no matter how many times you do it, to to get multiples of draws is a, it increases the factor of the, the unlikely the uh, light, yeah. unlikeliness of that happening. So yeah, it's, it's extremely rare. Yeah, it's a weird competition this, isn't it, where... It feels like everybody lost. So, <laughs> the All Blacks won't be happy. So, England-France today. Everybody won. France won. England ultimately won. Yep. There's there's room for improvement. Rugby won. Rugby won. Yada, yada, yada. Win, 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 win. The Tri-Nations feels like everybody lost because I'm pretty sure that the... No, Argentina won. Yeah, Argent- well, yeah, except for... Except for... Yeah, that that thing. <laughs> um, then you've got all the draws from Australia. And the All Blacks are not going to be happy with two losses and one draw. Yeah. Uh, yeah. E- even even South Africa lost and they didn't even play. Yeah. Yeah. Remarkable yeah. performances all round, really. Uh, <laughs> aside from the off-field stuff, Argentina were the winners. They had the first ever win against, yes. uh, against New Zealand and on foreign soil... Uh, after no build-up and having to live in a, a bubble for a couple of months and with a new bunch of coaches, they got two draws against Australia and beat New Zealand. Yep. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. they are the winners, really, even though they are... Are they last in the table? Or where, where are they in the table? Mid, uh, second, Australia came last. Oh, yeah. Australia. All you need to do is play all of your games at home and invite the <laughs> team. All That's all you need to do. You come last. <laughs> what were they thinking with the kits, though? Why were they both in the change kits, which meant you had dark green 
and dark blue. It's an awful combo. Sell some kits in it. Yeah, got to sell some kits. Just the cash. That, uh, the Argentine dark blue is lovely. It is, it is lovely. I am a massive fan of every other kit being white. Yeah, I could go with that. Yeah, everyone has to have a white kit. So, so Fiji and England could keep theirs and have a different one. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. So we don't have to go through the farce of these stupid kits all the time. Now, Argentina, to be fair to them, are pretty consistent, aren't they? They have got a dark blue one and they've got their stripes and that's fine. Mind you, yeah. who, where, do their stripes clash with anyone? Uh, when England play, they don't play... Uh, do England play in their normal kit against Argentina in their normal kit? I would say that's possible. I mean, I've seen yeah. worse clashes. I guess Uruguay, it's a bit of a clash. Yeah. Uh, it's a think, more... I'm um, trying to think of the World solid Cup. Solid blue. Like, when Argentina played France in that first World Cup... Racing. Ball, ball match, what, what were the kits? Yeah, Racing. Um, what were the kits? <laughs> yeah. What I were the kits when, when Argentina played France? I think it was just they're both in their regular strips. Yeah, I can't remember Argentina playing England, but we were there for it. We, we, we were there. I can't remember <laughs> a single second of it. I remember the lineouts and being amazed by how high Mario Otoji gets. Um, oh, Argentina beat England 2019. Yeah, so Argentina-France 2019, they're both in their home kit. England are in red against Argentina uh, in the Rugby World Cup. There we go. Yeah, that, I can see that. I can see that. But you are right about these kits. They, they shouldn't have done it. On the other hand, someone on Twitter made a good point, which is both these unions have been absolutely throttled by COVID and not making money. So if they're going to, at some point, show off their new commercial wares, they may as well. Well, yeah, one of them does it in the first game and the other one does it in the second game. Or first half, second half. Done. Not, not, dark, <laughs> not dark blue and dark green all at the same time. Yes, that's fair. That's fair. It's like when Scotland went out of their way to look just like the All Blacks, who went out of their way to look like Scotland. The, the worst kit clash ever was, yeah. uh, the, in, the, was in the World Cup. Terrible well, stuff. There was one about five or six, maybe slightly more years ago, where uh, New Zealand travelled to Murrayfield and yes. they had like a, a, a white grey kit and Scotland were also in their change kit, was like a blue grey kit and they were almost identical. Yeah, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, yeah, so good good game. Congratulations, Argentina. Congratulations, All Blacks, although it'll feel like a loss. And commiserations, New Zealand. Although, arguably, you'd say they'd made some progress in some in some regards. It was... Uh, that, that Argentina-Australia game was fun to watch. It really was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It uh, was. No one's talking about... to watch the highlights. No one wants to talk about Wales, do they? Um... Here's a question. Toby Faletau looked amazing. He is amazing. Like genuinely world class. Yeah. Um, is it just that he's been injured for so long or is he is he becoming a bit of a flat track bully? As in he struggled against the big boys mm. uh, and is happy beating up Italians and Georgians. Although he, I don't think he played against the Georgians, but happy beating up Italians. Uh, I think he's been injured. I think a, a player of his incredible class. I mean, you need to see it. Did, did he score a try in, in a Lions test? He did. And he, he um, went round or went through and round um, international fullback Israel Dag to, to do it as well. Yeah. And I do still think he is the best number eight who is related to the Vinopolas, including the Vinopolas. 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, he is an outstanding player. I think he's been injured. I'm going to give him the benefit of that and say I think it's the injury rather than, rather than anything else. And I also I think that Bath are a very stilted team. We'll talk about them later. And the Pivik era hasn't really kicked off too well. Mm. He, I, I'm not uh, disputing his performance in this game. He was amazing. Mm. He, he was the best player on the pitch. Um, not not Tipperick. Uh, I thought Falatau was, was so good. So mm. good. In the bits I saw when I was paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, this is kind of what I meant at the start of the podcast, which is who who's excited about playing for fifth place. You just call it a test match, that's fine. But when it's for the fifth place, I mean, <laughs> okay, fine. Um, yeah, Italy scored a, uh, some nice tries. Yeah, they did. Uh, in fact, because it's for fifth place, it doesn't even mean as much as the last place, because at least you're not going to finish last. <laughs> like there's, And also, we got to see Fiji. The last place game was far more exciting than the fifth place game. Yes, I loved watching Fiji. I said it at the start of the pod. I thought it was brilliant. And I've got a bit of a soft spot for Georgia as well. And they, they scored some nice tries. Yeah, I think it's incredible how um, people will say Georgia shouldn't be there. Uh, of which I might consider myself one, broadly speaking. Um, I think they've still got to improve. But it is amazing how far that they've come. I don't think they've embarrassed themselves in any single game, which is you know am- amazing in itself. And I just wish there was a pathway for them to continue this georgia fiji fixture i mean they should get their heads together and make sure that they play it every year they should try and get something with japan too they they need a high quality regular tournament which both teams both teams care about i don't think they're quite at six nations level and i don't think they're going to be for a long time yeah and you could throw because i would have liked to see either of these teams play italy as well yeah yeah, the, the Italians hate that because didn't when last time they played Georgia and they absolutely smashed them, and that was kind of them laying down the marker that no, no, this is not competitive still. Yeah, but I'd I'd like to see that kind of fixture more often because that those teams feel about the right level. They do, as actually. in Fiji, Georgia, Italy, Japan. Maybe Japan are a cut above that um, when they get their World Cup team together. Yeah, yeah, but. Well, kind of if it, that. If there was yeah, a, well, a Six Nations, uh, a, a Six Nations second division with the with a playoff to get into the the, the top league, so that you might have Italy, and, and then ha- as I've said before, have a Fiji team based in like Barcelona or Stock- yes. Stockholm or whatever, wherever you would choose to do it. Um, uh, Stockholm, you can well, wherever. That's a great idea. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, you can I'm have down for that. Uh, you could have. Romania, Spain, Stockholm, Romania, Spain, Georgia, Russia, and Fiji, and one other could be six teams, and then one of them would have a chance at a playoff against probably Italy, who finished bottom. So every now and again, you might get Fiji. Yeah, um, I, I, I still think there's viability in that. So the current situation is, I think, the unions sort of organise their own games, don't they? So if I'm England, I go right. I want South Africa. I want New Zealand and I want Australia coming to Twickenham. I want cash, therefore I want New Zealand, yeah, South yeah, Africa. Yeah. yeah, Cash, 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 cash. And then we'll come over to you and we'll make some more cash and we'll just make loads of cash. Quite right. right. Uh, fine. But actually, I think what they should be doing 
is they should have a guy like the UFC have. Um, they've got a matchmaker, or used to at least, called Joe Silver, who just has a, a, a talent for looking at mat- matchups, uh, either because it's a grudge match or because it, you know, it just makes sense for the viewers. And someone in World Rugby should be, probably me actually, should be responsible yeah. for putting these matches together. So you would have more matches like uh, Georgia-Italy, just purely because someone's playing, you know, like making mischief. Because the Italians would hate it because they are thinking that they are being um, singled out because they're not that good in Six Nations. And then the Georgians would be really, like, like really up for it because they'd, be, they'd think that this is their chance to prove that they could be in the Six Nations. You could have all sorts of, all sorts of um, uh, historic games. You would probably want to play... Spain, Romania on a much, much oh, bigger yeah. oh grudge match <laughs> yeah. and, with and a, Belgium a, a and Belgium. Belgium with a Belgium ref with a Belgium yeah <laughs> <laughs> love that like there's so many good uh, you'd probably want to put England up against South Africa straight after the World Cup you know yeah. there's there's loads of little things that you'd want to or, want... or or build up to that one because remember how good that felt. When England played New Zealand, event finally, how massive an occasion that was! Yes, yes, but that's the point, isn't it? That's why you need a matchmaker rather than the unions. You need an Eddie Hearn for rugby. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) a Dana White. So, and I think I, I think I'm probably qualified. There's not many jobs I'm qualified (laughs) for in rugby, but I think I could do that one. Yeah, definitely. There you go. Get get yourself uh, sorted as that. What um what. What are the games that we, we've talked about, spoken about? All the games, haven't we? Uh, yeah, that's it. I think that, that's everything. Yeah, cool. Um, it is just worth highlighting the sheer quality of that Fijian team. I mean, that back line with Muruna Rivalu, Tuisova, Nandolo, Randranda, Botia yeah. is just incredible. And then the guys they're missing, not not in the back line, but the guys they're, guys they're missing in the pack. Uh, Valame Mata, Paselli Yato, Leone Nakarawa are three of the best forwards in the world. Wow. Buy, someone needs team. to buy that team. Buy that team. You would make an absolute killing. And that's that's ignoring all of the players who are playing for other teams like mm. Rekka and Vakatawa and Kurabeti and Severis and Dangunu, wow. uh, Nairavoro, Rocco Daguni. Just the, the oh, talent. Wow. I mean, the second who played at, plays oh, for Northampton think... is absolutely class. Uh, Rotuni Yarawa. Yeah. Oh, you're right, Phil. If they had everyone available, you would have... Uh, like, they'd probably... I don't know. Like, Lavani Bottia wouldn't get in the team. And... Yeah. And nor would Mura Murivalu. And... Oh, my good goodness. <laughs> yeah, they are a scarily good team. But, you know, World Rugby get a lot of criticism. Um... Look who's coaching them. Got bloody Vern Cotter. Yeah. I mean, that's a hell of an appointment. Yeah. And I guess he, I'm guessing he's not that's, doing that's it. That's World free. Rugby's money, that. Yep. Uh, yeah. I'm going to sound stupid now. John O'Gibbs, is he coaching them? Uh, former Ulsterman. Former. I was going to say, uh, I thought he's at La Rochelle because I've actually seen him at La Rochelle. But anyway. I'm sure he's, I'm sure, I'm sure he's yeah, coaching them right. too. Yeah, you're right. But um thingy is there. Vern Cotter is there. And his previous job was, well, obviously Scotland, but also uh, Montpellier. And Montpellier pay a few, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon Vern, I reckon he plays for, or coaches for a lot of money. Maybe not Pat Lambstar money, 
The only way they could get a more expensive coach would be Pat Lamb. The, Pat Lamb or Eddie Jones. Yeah, Vern Cotter's going there for a... He, he wants to eventually have a £15 note uh, in his honour, like Ben Ryan has that seven pound note. Really? There's, there's a Fijian seven pound oh, note. Brilliant, seven pound that, note. That's awesome. <laughs> that's astounding. That really is. Yeah. Right. Well, let's leave that there. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Great, great weekend. And when's the next international rugby? Six Nations is what? How many days away? About less than a hundred days. Yes, I'd say yeah, less than 100. probably less than uh, about sixty days. I'd say. Oh, Maybe get in. More. <laughs> get in well uh, so yeah get subscribed on our feed because we're going to be talking about um, domestic rugby and the return of Champions Cup rugby in its new format as well so we'll be talking about that on the next pod uh, there's a chat with Benjamin Gezer coming in the feed as well uh, so uh, yeah hit subscribe uh, he's at JB Moore I'm at Cocker Phil is lurking and we're at Rugby Podcast on Twitter get following tell your mates and let the boys play Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.